Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I have deja vu with DCU and discuss the first issues of Prez, Black Canary, Doomed, All-Star Section 8, Robin, Son of Batman, and Constantine the Hellblazer, while also unpacking books like King Cat Comics 75, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe number 7, the first issue of The Fiction, Santa Claus, Private Eye, and much, much more in this pert and perky two-hour podcast. Show notes, not Kim Coates or War Notes, are available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello, Ethan Furtive. What's up? <laughs> I was sounding furtive because you were sounding furtive. Oh, I'm I'm just excited because I'm downstairs in the basement, and so everything is different and new. Ah, uh, and not boiling. I I'm not boiling yet because we are heading into a weekend where Portland is going to get above a hundred degrees. Yeah, yeah. Edie told me about that, and I was like, "Oh God!" Uh, my first, interestingly enough, and this this is something sad about me. My first thought, Graham McMillan, was of you in your attic. And my second <laughs> I've, thought... I've been working uh, downstairs in the kitchen for the last few days just because it's fine in the morning, although somewhere around like 11 o'clock, you're like, huh, it's getting kind of warm, but like by the afternoon, it's horrible. Yeah, I can just imagine. Just imagine. Uh, well... Second thought? What was your second thought? Oh, my second thought was for my poor brother who lives on the top floor of an apartment complex downtown. Yeah, yeah. He must not be having fun with that at all. Yeah, I would think that he would also be boiling, although he does have a little balcony. So, I mean, I don't know if he'll try and sleep out on it or what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, you guys with your crazy heat. Yeah, I know. It's it's fun, right? We're <laughs> very excited. What's very funny is we were in uh, Vancouver last weekend. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I was like, Vancouver's just it's just going to be exactly like Portland, right? No, Vancouver's like nice Portland, weather-wise. Mm. It was like, you know, I, I, low 70s, mm-hmm. but very sunny. So you're, it was just like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> That's great. What would what, you think of Vancouver? Uh, we, we liked Vancouver a lot. We had the the worst entry to Vancouver, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh, our drive, we drove from Portland, which is like five and a half hours, according to uh, the forecasts. Do you know what I mean? Like, you put it in your GPS, and GPS is like, it's five and a half hours. Five and a half hours, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Oh. No, no, it was not. Uh, and so it took us, I want to say close to 10 hours between getting, leaving Portland and arriving in our place in Vancouver, uh, in part because we waited a bunch at the customs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we had a lovely drive up through Washington. <laughs> a lovely drive. <laughs> Pretty much as soon as we hit customs, everything hilariously went to shit. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, we So customs was to wait. Then we hit, I guess, rush hour traffic. Pretty much as soon as we got into Canada. And when I say rush hour traffic, I mean, it wasn't moving, Jeff. But that was good, because that gave us enough time to realize that although Kate and I thought we had international roaming on our phones, we didn't. Oh my god. We had no service, which was a problem, because that was how we were learning how to get to where we were going. (laughs) 
Um, so that was great. I should remember. We, with the help of a guidebook a friend had given us that's like 20 years out of date, and we pretty much took, so we're like, oh, what could it hurt? But there was a map in there. <laughs> so we, we find where we're supposed to pick the keys up, because it's one of these things where, uh, I can't, can't remember the name of it. It's, it's basically a system where there's like a localized drop-off for keys for like Airbnbs and mm. ER- Mm-hmm. And you you key in the number and they go back and they they you know they give you the key right and so the person is like okay so I, I'm dropping it off here's the address just go in there and it's a cafe mm-hmm. um and so we get there and we're frazzled by this point we've been in the car for you know nine hours or something mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know two or three of those hours were pretty much not moving oh god. Uh, and we get there, and the weather is just terrible when we arrive. Like, it's pissing down, it's cold. Mm. Kate and I both dressed for, like, summer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we stop, and I'm like, I'll, I'm just going to run in and get the keys. Then we can get the keys, then we can, you know, just go and get to the place and collapse. And, right. you know, that's it. Fuck everything else. And even Kate and I still had to do work when we got there. Oh, oh, my gosh. All right. Um... And we thought we were going to get there like, you know, 5 o'clock at night. We're, at this point, it's 8 o'clock. Um, and I go in. And I'm like, hi, I'm picking up keys. I've got this code. You know, what do I do? Do I just tell you the code? And they're like, no, no, no. There's a keypad. Enter, enter all your information. And enter information and it's like, no keys found. And I was like, I must have got this wrong. Enter information again. No keys found. Oh, no, no, no. So I go, hey, dude behind the counter. Uh, there, there's, it says no keys found. I'm doing something wrong because we've been told this is where it is. Mm-hmm. Like, no way the keys aren't here. Right. He's like, well, what's your code? And I'm like, here's the code. And he, he enters, and he's like, no, the, the keys aren't here. And I was like, that's that's not funny. <laughs> we have, we have no phone. We uh, you know we don't. Oh my god. Uh, we've been in the car for this point for like nine hours. We're frazzled, and you're telling me the keys aren't here. This is not. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. I am at the. I'm so tired that I don't know what to do. Stage. Yes. This saint of a man is like, here's my phone. Do you have a contact number for the woman? And I was like, I do. And he's like, call her using my phone. I was like, oh god, you're so nice. Thanks. I call voicemail. <laughs> And I can't be like, well, call me back because like, my phone doesn't work and this is this guy's phone apart. Right. Um, and he goes, well, is there any other number? And I was like, yeah, actually, there's an alternate contact number. That'll be the one. Call, voicemail on that as well. And I'm just, I, I, I guess we get a hotel. Right. So I was like, you know, do where's a good hotel that we can take two dogs? Because we have the dogs with us. And he goes, no, 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 no. Why don't you call the... The company that runs this key rental place. Right. Give them the codes and they'll tell you where the keys are. Ooh. And I was like, you're a genius because I wouldn't have thought of that at all. So we do that. Still using his phone. Call up. And after, I mean, the longest wait, I owe this guy a fortune for the <laughs> uh, like, oh, yeah, the keys are in somewhere else entirely in Vancouver. This totally different location. And I'm like, Okay. Uh, give me the address and write down the address. Uh, the guy's like, okay, I'm going to draw you a map to how to get there. <laughs> because you clearly don't know. I must have just looked. Yeah. yeah. I could try at any moment. Uh, and so he, he did. He drew me this map. He was like, okay, this is how you get there. This is the fastest way. Have you got a car? This is what you do. He goes, you go up the street, you turn in the street, you take this, you take this corner, you go down. 
you like this is where you want to pull over, this is where you want to park, the whole thing. I sure enough the keys were there at the second location, but just this man, and I didn't even get his name. Mm-hmm. But there is a man working in a coffee shop on West Ender Street in Vancouver. Uh, and he's the nicest man in the world. So if you're in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, go to... I probably shouldn't say the name of the place, should I? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know at this point if you should or not. Let's not. There, there is a coffee shop on West Bender Street. Uh, and I think all everyone in Vancouver who's listening to this should just go to every coffee shop uh, <laughs> on West Bender Street and buy a lot of things. Just... <laughs> Just in case it's this particular coffee shop with this dude in it. Because he saved our fucking bacon. Yes. Anyway, so that so arriving was terrible. Um but everything like pretty much the next day, mm-hmm. we we're like, Oh everything's much better. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean yeah. you really don't need to do much to go up from there, really. But Oh yeah, it, it was it was a, a comically terrible start. <sighs> oh, that's traumatizing. It's funny. Those, those, um, we, we had a, a very similar situation when we spent the, the month in Buenos Aires. Like we should, we, you know, caught the taxi, uh, to the building that we were staying at. And the person who was supposed to meet us there with the keys wasn't there. And of course we had, you know, paid them half the money up front and the other half was like stuffed down my sock. And it was like, where is he? And, 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 and it was one of those situations where it's like, you know, Edie had been taking Spanish for like, you know, his taken it on and off, but is far from fluent, but had been taking classes so that we could sort of get by. And so it's right into the deep end of the pool where she has to talk to the security guard downstairs who speaks no English. And, and it was that classic situation of, you know, people really do uh can be so kind because <laughs> he took he took pity on us and it was the same sort of deal he he used his phone we we had the other guy's phone number written down or something so we managed to get in touch with the guy and of course he was like just down the street doing sheets doing laundry and was running late and hadn't really paid much attention so saved our ass and then there was another time completely separate where we came into New York and the hotel that we were staying at, we, we arrived like after curfew. So it was like nine o'clock at night or whatever. And we rang the bell. I think it was only seven o'clock and you know, it's like ring the bell. So the security guard can let you in and nobody showed up. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I've, uh, I, I must've told you, Sorry, listeners, we're totally just talking vacation stories today. <laughs> um, did I ever tell you about arriving in Venice when I I was I was sent this sounds absolutely surreal now. Um I was sent by a non profit artists agency uh to cover the Venice Biennale. This is years ago before I'm a I'm a writer. Wow. Grand uh, Yeah. So I'm but I like I I know no Italian. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I get like I get told this like a week before it starts, <laughs> and they're pretty much like, "This is how much we've got. Go, mm-hmm. <laughs> like book it all, the whole thing. Just, just, just make it happen. Uh, and you have to come back and you have to write up a report on it and present a pre- make a presentation as well. Wow. Um, 
And this is in 90, it might have even been 99, 97, 99, 98, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I book everything and it's, uh, there's, there's no hotels available because it's like, it's the fucking Venice Biennale. Uh, and it's a week before it happens. So, you know, everyone's, it's like trying to get a hotel room in San Diego now. Oh my God. Right. Um, but I get an apartment because I get in touch with the hotel and they're like, no, we have no spaces, but my son is not in town. You can stay in his apartment. Wow. Right? Right. Um, you'll have to come to the hotel to get the keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. Through just the, the way that travel works, uh, I'm supposed to get in at 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I get in at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and the hotel is clearly shut. Yeah. Because yeah. it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The streets are also deserted, uh, and I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> not in the sense, of, not just in the sense of how do I get to this apartment or even how do I get to this hotel, but like it's one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I can't get in there. <laughs> like, what? What am I? What am I? Gonna, I, I, I'm because I, so let's let's say it is ninety eight. Okay, so I'm twenty three years old. Wow. So I'm like, okay, I'll just stay up. Because that's what you think at that age. Sure. Know? Yeah, exactly. It's like one o'clock? Sure. I'll just stay up. And then, I'll, you know, the, sh- the, the Biennale doesn't open until tomorrow anyway. I'll, I'll just stay awake all night. What, what, what could happen? Yeah. What's the odds, right? Um, this is how surreal it got. I get to the airport. They, I think I then took a, a water taxi or something. Wow. Um, to, to like main part of Venice. Mm-hmm. I get off the water taxi. It's one o'clock in the morning. Mm. The streets are really, there's like maybe three people that I see while I'm walking around at all. Mm-hmm. Let's get this. The third person works for the fucking hotel that I see. <laughs> right? So I'm like, I'm going around and I'm just like, I'll just try and find where the hotel is. So I'm asking people, have you ever heard of this hotel? And they're like, no, no, no. Have you ever heard of this hotel? No, no, no. Have you ever heard of this hotel? Yes, I work there. Oh my God. Oh my God. So this woman manages to not only take me to the hotel, but unlock, get the keys that I'm staying in, and then walk me to the apartment. Oh, man. Right? It's one of those moments where you're like, okay, so I'm literally living in in some sort of fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. God God bless people for for taking care of travelers. Because, you know, there is always that fear that you're going to go somewhere and get robbed or ripped off or stuff like that, you know. Um, I was, I, I, I was thinking the other day about exactly this sort of situation where, uh, um, uh, paying for a meal in, uh, Prague in Czechoslovakia. And there was, of course, when, when we were there, which was just after 9-11, um, there was kind of that Prague had been an up and coming city for a while. I'm sure it's, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I, I, I remember Prague being like the thing around the, the turn of the century. Right. Exactly. And this was even maybe a little bit sort of, so, so it very much the whole idea of like everything was super cheap had kind of faded and there was a lot of like, um, there was a lot of like, yeah, if you're a local, everything's super cheap. But once they figure out that you are a native, they're going to, you know, just charge you through the butt. And of course I'm like, well, that's fine. But, 
<laughs> you know, because I mean, I it's sort of. Charged it, but come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's like okay, so I was here too late. I have no real desire to try and go out into you know the next big up and coming thing, which is like Budapest or something like that. And we're there. We're in Prague. We're in a restaurant, and the waitress brings us the bill, and um, we pay, and she 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 gives us our change, and she gives us way too much money back. You know, and it's that classic case where I'm, I'm trying to catch her eye, like, and she just doesn't, she just wants us to go away. Like my, my paranoid theory is, is that she actually did charge us too much and then managed to actually screw up the change. But I mean, like she gave us like, it was, it, it would be the equivalent of giving you an extra $20 back you know, when you return the change in the bill on it. And so I was like, kept waving at her and but, waving at her. But is it her. like she's giving you more money than you originally gave her? Yes. Yeah, wow. pretty okay. much. Yeah, we have made a profit. We've eaten, you know, the three of us have eaten a, you know, three-course, four-course meal, and we've made money off the deal. So it's like I'm waving at her, and finally she comes over. And, you, and it's really interesting because she was just so kind of defensive and like, well, what, 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 you know, and, and I showed her the bill and the money and explained it to her. And it was, it really was one of those great moments where it's like after being, you know, traveling and having people help, help you out is so, you know, so, uh, it's humbling, you know, and it was kind of great to actually, help this person, even though she was incredibly surly about it, once she realized what we were trying to do, she was like, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Like, really, really kind of, and also very surprised. You can tell that she was like, what, dude, what? Like, yes. this totally would have lost yes. my, yeah. Mm -hmm. This works out in your favor. Why are you doing this? Yeah, completely. In a way that she was just really baffled by it. I'm like, eh, you know, so... Travel, everybody. I didn't even get to finish the story in New York where there was, like, blood in the closet, and then we bumped into Ethan Hawke the next Oh, morning. wait. No, I remember the blood in the closet place. <laughs> that was it. the blood in the closet yeah. place. Yes. Yeah. I had to wait. We waited three fucking hours. Well, it was actually two hours, I think, before the security guard finally woke up from his nap and let us in, and then we get led up to the room, and it's clear that someone has been murdered in the closet, and uh that was the, oh, the Nothing like seeing dry that blood. Best. That was the best. That really was. I was like, ah, God love you, New York. You know, so. <laughs> oh, man. And those are our travel stories. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Wait What? The Travel Edition. The Travel Edition. We should have some sort of jaunty music. Da, 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 da. Um, so, Graham. <laughs> Yes, Jeff. I, as long as we're talking about terrible travel stories, I should mention that I am talking to you uh, from San Francisco, the land that comics forgot. Like, oh, because there there was no shipment, right? The shipment's delayed until today. Yeah, the shipment got delayed until today. So, yeah, I I want to say the same might have been true of Portland, but hey, I, I didn't get to the store. <laughs> Oh, Graham. That, that would require I didn't need to get to the store because DC has been sending me all of their uh, June releases. Right. So, like, without even getting to the store, I've been reading, like, 11 new books a week. Wow. Wow. Plus 
uh, all the random old shit that I've been reading, which I've been telling you about on an email, like Challengers of the Unknown I'm working my way through, mm-hmm. um, the Doom Patrol, the original Doom Patrol, the Metal Men. Right. Uh, all that's, and really weirdly, and there is a reason for this, but the reason is, is somewhat obscure. Um, the, like, new 52 books that I didn't actually read the first time around. Really? So, Birds of Prey. I've now mm-hmm. read all the Birds of Prey. Um, and Shanty's Catwoman. Oh, wow. Uh, Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I've been reading those as well. Hmm. Interesting. So you're pretty DC heavy. And, yeah, and Nishanti's uh, Catwoman, by the way, mm-hmm. if it had had a better artist, at least based on what I've read so far, mm-hmm. I think it would have would have appealed to a lot more people. Really? Because the art is... It, the art is actually very strange. The art is somewhere between cheesecakey and uh, purposefully ugly, mm-hmm. for a better way of putting it. Wow. Um, but Nishanti is, is in like Daredevil mode. Like, the, the plot of the first... Well, the first trade collects a bunch of shit. And it's a, a real problem that her run starts off with the, the Joker crossover. But almost immediately after the Joker crossover, she gets into Eclipso. Mm-hmm. But the Eclipso stuff isn't the traditional Eclipso story as much as Catwoman basically just gets a bit more evil and fucks everything up as a result mm-hmm. and unleashes a demon. And so you've got, you know, much like Daredevil, her Daredevil is very... What you expect. Like uh-huh. a cat, all of a sudden it's like supernatural shit. Hmm. Uh, and very unashanty supernatural. So, you know, it's not really supernatural as much as we are all reflections of our own best or worst selves. Right, right. It's practically allegorical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Huh. Uh, and so you're uh, like, I'm feeling going, this, I can totally see why this didn't really grab an audience. Mm hmm. Uh, but. With a different artist, it could have. Yeah, boy, man, if they put... That's that's what Marvel should do. I Marvel. That's what DC should do. Reunite and Nascente and John Romita Jr., you know? Assuming he's got a little bit of space left. I wouldn't want her doing Superman, but get the two of them together on another uh, book. Yeah, but I was going to say, I think I'm I'm happy with uh, Romita on Superman right now. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really like this week's Superman. Yeah, I wish I I wish I had seen it. It's very <sighs> Gene Yang's playing it remarkably close to the Jeff Jones model. Has to be said. Hmm. Like if you if you hadn't known that Yang was writing, mm-hmm. and someone just gave you the issue with no credits, mm-hmm. it's very possible you'd be like, oh, okay, so it's still Jeff Jones. Wow. Um, although I love his Lois Lane. Oh, interesting. His Lois just seems a bit... Well, there's there's a scene where uh, Clark and Jimmy basically witness an arms deal. Mm-hmm. And they say, like, that that dude is really familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I, I know his face. I don't know why I know his face. And they so they get the photographs and they, they put the photographs up in the newsroom. And Lois walks in and she's like, oh, come on. And she takes a photograph and she draws a moustache on it. And she's like, you guys were fooled by a moustache. Look, you've totally seen this guy before with a fake moustache. <laughs> And it's just like completely matter of fact. She's just like, "Are you idiots?" <laughs> and I really like that element of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of comes in, and she's so no nonsense, but not in a bitch way. Oh yeah, which is great. She's just like, "Come on, you guys!" <laughs> right? Seriously, uh, and which is also very funny in that you know this is a storyline that's going to set up. Oh, but I was fooled by glasses. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's an it's a good issue. I have to say, overall, I think that this month of DC has been great. Yeah, I've I've heard you say a couple of things um, during there, there, our time off to that. There's been some books that don't work, mm-hmm. definitely, um, and there's some books that just leave me cold. Mm-hmm. But overall, the line is way healthier than it's been in years, and and in ways that are are surprising. I I I think the 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 scope of visual uh, input, mm-hmm. the, the, the disparity between I, I guess what I'm saying is that the the visual styles yes are broadened so much now, especially when you include things like Batmites or Bizarro, yes, or even Batgirl. Uh, there there's such scope there for different things that is just it's lovely to see across the line mm-hmm. and in many ways it's really DC catching up to what Marvel's been doing but also kind of do, taking it a bit further I can't really see Marvel doing a Gotham Academy just yet and even Batgirl feels like a little bit more cartoony than Marvel would be comfortable with yeah yeah, I I think well, I mean it I mean there's Squirrel Girl, but Yeah, Squirrel Girl's pretty darn cartoony and um I wanna say there was another one that was, was I mean it depends on what your definition of of cartoony cartoony is. I mean, cause, cause Squirrel Girl's really the I I don't think anyone can top that. But like Spider Gwen, because I I actually was Despite the fact that there were no new comics for me, I actually had comics from like last week and the week before to catch up on. So mm-hmm. I had a had a ton to really read up on. And so, so what are you reading these days from Marvel? I'm, I'm super curious. Uh, well, I, it's it's very. I would say I I was I finished up reading Spider Gwen because I had started it and i was like okay i'll i'll grab one more issue and of course they're like this is the last issue you know kind of thing so, and is it true that it finishes on a cliffhanger it finishes on a very it it's in no way seems like it's there's no closing note whatsoever i mean honestly it's just it's one of those that just is uh, you know you've you've got matt murdock basically being, you know, since he's evil, Matt Murdock is pretty much like, oh, I'm on to you, Spider Gwen. Or, you know, he, you get the sense he definitely knows her secret identity or knows more about her than she uh, thinks. You've got a, not quite a cliffhanger with, um, Gene DeWolf and, uh, uh, Captain Stacy. But, I mean, it's a variety, nothing really ends. Like, there's just, you've introduced, like, Felicia Hardy, who's sort of dressed up like a robo Lady Gaga, you know, and she's like, they're a top pop star that the, that the MJs are competing against or whatever. It's, I mean, it's just, Here's more new stuff, then there's ninjas, then it's over, and you're like, that in no way, and it even says to be continued at the bottom, and then on the next page, they're like, welcome to the last issue of Spider-Gwen, you know, so it's just totally... Oh, but uh, what I find really, well, I find a couple of things fascinating, which are, mm-hmm. are very separate. Uh, the second one first is that, I don't know if you saw, but the new Spider-Gwen series has been announced, and it's the same creative team, um, and it's the same continuity. Mm-hmm. Like there's no change from Secret Wars, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a unsurprising because mm-hmm. why do you fuck with a formula that 
the audience has clearly wants it. I mean, Spider-Gwen is the rare case of because you demanded it, true believer. Yes. Um, but it's also surprising because if the Marvel multiverse continues after Secret Wars, mm-hmm. then is the hype of Secret Wars being bigger than anything else they've ever done before? Literally, well, we've now merged the Ultimate Universe and the Marvel Universe. I I really don't know. I mean, I'm really I am very. I don't know. Uh, I guess I because take all, the... all new, all different Marvel now. The announcements so far have yes. been laughingly underwhelming. Yeah, yeah, and, and in particular, I think they they screwed the pooch in the launch so fucking badly. Mm-hmm. The first two books they announced for all new, all different Marvel are Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And Miles Morales Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles Morales Spider Man by exactly the same creative team mm-hmm. <laughs> that launched him in the first place. Yeah, and Iron Man by this, the previous Ultimate Spider Man creative team. Yeah, like there was a complete lack of anything new or different there. Yeah, so everything has followed. I mean, you've had Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, which is now being written by the Agent Carter showrunners, right? Which is kind of fascinating in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Squadron Supreme by the Fantastic Four uh, creative team, mm-hmm. which again is really interesting that they're keeping creative teams together. That you've got Robinson and Kirk again. Yeah. Um, you have all new, all different Avengers, which everyone already knew about. You have A Force, mm-hmm. which everyone knew was coming. Uh, what else has been announced? Is that, is that it? Oh no! Totally Awesome Hulk! Which was announced today. Which is actually the name of it. Totally Awesome Hulk! Uh, by Greg Pack and Frank Cho. Uh, this, you know, wow. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have to say, um, I think, and I could be wrong, but I, I'm sort of wondering the extent to which uh, Marvel's Secret Wars titles as they exist, uh, at least a huge chunk of them, and I, I'm sure I'm just parroting something that you probably said months ago, Graham, but it feels like a sandboxed um, lab to throw a lot of shit at the walls and see what sticks as far as like, as far as new ideas and new teams. But I honestly think that that means that what their announcements are for what works or what they feel they're going to back, um, won't come for another two months, you know, that they're, but except that's not true because on Wednesday they're supposed to be announcing everything in the all new, all different Marvel primer that's getting released in comic stores. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe I. I mean, I I totally see what you're saying, mm-hmm. and it might slash probably will turn out to be the case that the all new, all different Marvel primer will be like issue one of three, and it will just be the books they've already announced online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's possible they could have just looked at the pre-orders for these books and gone, okay. Could be. Yeah. People are into, what what the fuck, Planet Hulk. Sure, we'll have a a new Devil Dinosaur and Hulk series. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are into Runaways. Sure, we'll have Runaways. Right. 
you know what I mean? Like it's it's very possible they've done that. But everything that has been announced has been amazingly underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because I I think like maybe and maybe I'm wrong. I think because the stuff they have lined up is the stuff that isn't going to change. Like the most underwhelming choices are going to be the stuff that they knew in advance that they were going to roll out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to be Bendis working on a major title, you know, or two major titles, I guess, depending, you know, and you're just, I think you're going to see more of that. You're going to see their bigger guys, you know, the people that they want up and coming. And then we'll see if there's going to be, you know, if they're going to turn around and be like, well, you know, Something like Weird World is, uh, you know, <laughs> we're we're going to keep it because we think it's amazing or yeah. whatever it is. Whatever I I just what what's what I thought was interesting and perhaps unsurprising was reading Black Canary number one and then reading Spider Gwen number five. <laughs> I was going to say Black Canary number one, which I have read, and Spider Gwen, which I haven't. Just hearing you talk about Spider Gwen, I was like, oh, so Black Canary and Spider Gwen are the same book. They. They pretty much are the same book. Yeah, this, I mean, honestly, I, I would have to say the Black Canary, uh, issue one, despite having kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, it's a band. Oh, they get attacked in mid concert by mysterious, like weird ghost ninja y things, um, is much more. It's it's much more cohesive. Unfortunately, the Spider Gwen book, there were some. The art looks lovely, but there were some really some really bad storytelling choices by Robbie Rodriguez. There was just way too many uh, elements thrown into the story. So, I mean, he can make the pages look great. They're very eye catching, and it's fun seeing like there's a there's a like how he does like the spider Gwen equivalent of the, the classic, you know, Peter Parker, you know, half Peter Parker face, half Gwen, sure. uh, spider, my spider. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was things that are like that. They're really fun, but it's also this huge mess. Like you can't, at least I looking through it was like, wait, where are these guys coming from? Where did they go to? Is she actually fighting them? Like at one point she actually has someone punch, uh, the the artist has someone has Spider Gwen punch and knock out a character. I think probably Felicia Hardy with with one blow. But it's how do I put it? It's not even a closed fist. You know what I mean? Like it's the world's strangest looking punch. I'm like, and it's definitely meant to be a punch. Yeah, I think so. I, you, you definitely get the idea. Like she hit him on the jaw, he falls, and then you know, and then Matt Murdock steps in and is like, "Wow, one you know took her out with one punch. That's amazing. Just imagine what you could do if you knew how to fight." And there was kind of a little bit of the, "Is that why you didn't close the hand entirely?" Like it looks like she's like you know, it's that action figure pose of like fingers are curled, thumb is curled, but the hand is basically open, and I'm like. What are you like? I'm not a nitpicker, <laughs> although God knows we have hundreds of hours of us talking. That probably say, are you sure? Because yeah. I'm a nitpicker, Jeff. <laughs> but I did find myself being like, "Wow, that's really distracting." So, but even even strangely, is distracting is this idea of like, "Wow, everybody, 
got very hepped up about that Shonen Knife reunion tour, or I guess it must have been Sleater Kinney or something, because all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we've got lady bands with superheroes, and they're getting into fights at every show. And I'm like, this seems... Like, it's fascinating to me. It seems like it's a genuine trend because because both Marvel and DC are trying to hop onto it, I suppose. You know, so anyway. If, if, if it's a trend, where's it coming from? Because, you know, trends are threes. Mm, are they? I guess yeah. that's probably true. Um, so where's the third or the first? Right. The third probably is the first, and, and, and I wouldn't know. I mean, is it just like old leftover Scott Pilgrim stuff? Because a lot of it, it seems very cookies, Scott Pilgrim. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like, did it just take that long to permeate? Or is it just that the number of people who were like, you know, it's taken them this long to break in and their pitch is, I really want to do superheroes and Scott Pilgrim. I don't, I don't know, but it feels like it is, you know, if nothing else, DC and Marvel are willing to, to bet on it with their, with their creative dollars. But it is strange seeing it come from a place that I guess perhaps because it's so similar in a way in execution in these two books, I'm like, where is this, where is this coming from? Like it, it kind of, when it's so similar, it feels, of course, less idiosyncratic. So. Have you dropped Batgirl? Did, uh, did you jump off the Batgirl, tra Batgirl train? You know, I didn't think so, but I don't, I don't know if I've seen an issue since, I want to say 41, I think. Oh, 41 is this month. Okay. So, 41's this week, in fact. Uh, oh, then in that case, I'm, it must have been 40. Is 40 the one that kind of wrapped up the first arc? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I was there through the end of the first arc. Okay. Because yeah. the the band stuff is set up for Black Canary is set up there. Yes. And over over a couple of issues, oddly enough, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. to the point where, for my money, the final issue of that first Batgirl arc feels yes. very much like a backdoor pilot for Black Canary. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, and. Because I, I, I think Black Canary issue one feels much more like Scott Pilgrim than mm. the Bad Girl stuff did. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely heard uh, Brendan Fletcher talking about how a lot of this is inspired by his experiences in bands. Mm. Uh, but, you know, when you said Scott Pilgrim, I think, like, that really rings a bell. Mm -hmm. I think Black Canary does feel like a very Scott Pilgrim meets Bad Girl. Mm-hmm element in there although i think it's great it's one of my favorite of the the first issues oh good yeah one. i enjoyed it i enjoyed I it as well art is lovely mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think annie Wu did a terrific job with it um what do you what do you think of prez number one i really liked it mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember but i was really excited about the preview and then much less excited after i read it mm -hmm. so i went to issue one being like i, I don't let me down please don't let me down oh right. god really and i really liked it i really really enjoyed it the mm -hmm. surprise of it though was you it doesn't it the first issue doesn't even get to the high concept of the series yeah which i was like ooh, i, I was a little worried about you know i'm like I, I was like okay you better hope that people are just going to give you two issues yeah yeah, because or that first, I don't think that first issue ends particularly well. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I don't know. It is it is tough because, of course, part of me is like, you know, I mean, it ends with Boss Smiley appearing, and in a way that I thought was actually very 
clever. I mean, but, oh, but- I, I like the the uh, the redesign, and I like the mm-hmm. the idea of Boss Smiley being essentially a. a what a holographic disguise yes. for some? Yeah, all these guys have these sort of I like very much. logo designs. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, it feels like because the end of the, that's essentially an epilogue. The end of the issue is yeah. pretty much there's not a president, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which in a series called Press, yeah. which on the covers is first teen president, is such an odd place to end. Yeah, because it's, there's no jeopardy there. Because you know you go into the series knowing that she's going to be the president. Well, so cliffhanger is such an odd place to go. I, I I also think that unfortunately one of the things that's problematic is the is that Prez is not no pun intended, especially present in her own book. You know, you've got you've got the cover. You've got, you know, a few very small scenes of her, you know, dealing with her dad or the, the corn dog bit. Um, but, but even the long sequence uh, of the billionaire game show sequence where she's waiting in the wings and doesn't get her chance to go at it. it she's that, waiting in the wings. Yeah. I mean, it's, it goes on for like, it's, you know, between that and the various degrees of helpless campaigning from the other presidential candidates, she is a super, super minor. Um, Which I, I actually really liked that. Because it set up for me how powerless she actually is mm-hmm. out of this point. Mm-hmm. She is entirely peripheral and is considered as such by everyone. Yes. She gets the attention she gets because she's a joke, because yes. she's a no one. Right. Um, and, and so that works for me. And a lot of that is knowing that, or at least trusting that in the rest of the series, that's not going to be the case. Yeah. I, 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 do you know what I mean? Sure. I agree with you, but it's also a very strange. It's an odd choice for the first issue. Yeah, it's a very odd choice that you're like, oh, hey, here's our character. She's not going to end up. You know, I mean, I understand the the first issue of Prez shows how Prez uh, the volume one shows how Prez Ricard becomes president, and he's you know they jump over a lot of stuff to get to that last page where he's like, "Hey, I'm president," you know. But I would have almost preferred that in a way because there is a little bit of the this. There's. It would be one thing, I see your point, it would be one thing I feel if there, if it was a narrative in which she, like you said, she's a joke, but the, and yet somehow she's unique in that regard, but the fact is, everyone seems powerless in this narrative, and everyone seems... Well, with the exception of, of Boss Smiley and everyone in the last, in the epilogue. Well, sure, the epilogue, when they come forward at the first two or three pages, although frankly, Boss Smiley's the only one who's busy saying like, no, 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 this is gonna be great. The rest of those powerful people at the table don't really have any power either. So, and, and, and I'm not saying like that's, you know, I mean, that will, I'm sure helped the narrative. I'm just saying that there was not much to distinguish her, you know, in this mm-hmm. first issue, mm-hmm. which I find kind of problematic because, you know, as let's face it, double plus ungood as those four issues of Prez are by Joe Simon and Jerry Grandietti. Um, 
Prez is at, at least in that. Oh, Prez, it's, Prez is the golden child. Prez is, Prez is very clearly the central character. He's very clearly the central character, and in that, at least, certainly in that first issue, there are he is, you know, all, proactive and driven and interesting. You know, it's uh, I don't know the. Not to get off topic, but boy, those four issues of Prez, having bought those on Comixology and realizing I'd only read one and four and not two and three, some interesting, interesting shit, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so, so I think, so I think in that regard, I think Prez in many ways, um, I appreciated that it, there were parts that actually genuinely amused me. And I think as most especially the art is, Pretty ben Caldwell's art is lovely, right? Yeah, it's really, really, really nice. well done. Yeah, so, um, so I'll be, I'll be, I'm hopeful and I'm curious to see where it goes. But I also have to say, like, it would not surprise me if people were underwhelmed when they finished that first issue because well, I was. I, I noticed uh, someone on Twitter, maybe Tim O'Shea. Mm-hmm. I, no, Tim was Tim O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, on Twitter today, basically going, I'm taking bets as to whether it'll even get to the end of his 12 issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want him to be wrong, but I don't think he is. Like, well, I, I think if it gets there, it gets there because they've promised them 12 issues and not because it's going to be a success. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I, you're probably right. I mean, the, the, what I find interesting is, is that if nothing else, Prez number one is definitely a book that re- that reads as if it was a Vertigo book from like ten years ago, I guess. You know, um, and I think that shows. Well, it just it. We'll see if it sticks, but in the sense of it shows that DC really are trying to experiment. Well, yeah, I, I think even Black Canary shows that DC is trying to experiment. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, did I, you read, uh, talking about Vertigo and, and DC experimenting, did you read Constantine the Hellblazer? No. It's, it is simultaneously the least Vertigo Constantine you could read. Uh-huh. Uh, but also, all the better for it. Mm. I, I think that the previous Constantine volume really had a problem in that it was trying to split the difference. It was trying to be, yes, it's the John Constantine you know, but he's in the DC universe. Right. Which is not exactly doomed to failure, uh, because, you know, Constantine started as a DC universe. Exactly. Right. You know, he talks to Batman. Yeah. Um, But I think it's it's a very problematic approach. And the, the, the new series doesn't, doesn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and is I'm not I'm really unsure what I think about it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really uh, I think it's brave. I think it's the right place to go with the, the book now because it feels much more in line with a black canary with a prez with a bad girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and also re approaches the I think it gets away from what DC was doing with Constantine previously, which was he's a good guy, but he's flawed. <laughs> he's just in bad you know what I mean? Like it through Justice League Dark especially, but also the Constantine book, there really was a 
he just can't get his life together. Hmm. You know, if it, if it really comes down to it, he'll come through. Mm-hmm. And the first issue, this is quite clearly like, no, he won't. He's a dick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really cares about himself, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think is is the right thing to do with the character. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I did fit in many ways. It almost felt like more Constantine light than the previous volume. Hmm. Despite that, it, it's it's the strangest book. Well, I forget. Isn't the creative team that's on the book? Aren't they leaving the book too, or no? Did no, I misunderstand you're, you're, that? no, you're thinking of it. So it's Ming Doyle and uh, James Tynan, the fourth writing. Yeah, and they were also going to be writing uh, Dark Universe. Ew. Which is now, which is now gone from the schedule. I see. Okay. okay. Uh, but they're still they're sticking with, with that. But they're sticking with this book. Got it. Okay. I did misunderstand that. Huh. Uh, yeah. And it, but it's, it's the oddest book. It's the strangest book. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's, there's a, there's a number of books in this month for DC that you're just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, like Dog, Dr. Fate as well. Oh yeah. It just doesn't quite work hmm. and I could not tell you why it doesn't quite work mm-hmm. uh, it, it just doesn't <laughs> to the point where you finish it and you're like that was you know that was coherent mm-hmm. uh, you know Sunny Lou's art's nice mm-hmm. but huh <laughs> you know right that like that's as far as you get you're just like okay right that was cromulent uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I that that's a, that's a comic that exists, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think I was expecting. Like, it just, I don't even think it's that it didn't work for me. Like, I tend to say I don't, I don't think it works. Mm. And in in some really strange way, it feels like it's trying to do the same thing as um, Doomed, the Scott Lobdell Teenage Doomsday book. Wow! And I think Doomed might do it better. Yikes! Uh because here's the thing, Doomed, Scott Lobdell has made this very strange um, thing for himself at DC, especially in the New 52, where he'll take a well-known Marvel concept and make a DC version. <laughs> right? Right. So, in Convergence, he made the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. In Superman, he made the Watcher. Mm-hmm. And Doomed is Spider-Man. Wow, really? If you look at Doomed as a Spider-Man comic, it's a pretty fucking good Spider-Man comic. <laughs> Unpack that a little bit for me. How exactly? I mean, so he's like a young teenager who he's a young teenage kid mm-hmm. who you know is is unsuccessful in everything, mm-hmm. but is deep down a good guy mm-hmm. who, through uh, a scientific accident that is no fault of his own, uh, is given these powers that make his life difficult. But you can tell from the first issue, even though it doesn't happen, will also provide him an outlet that he doesn't have in his normal life. Ah. Yeah, that does sound pretty Spider-Man-y, for sure. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, and you're like, huh, you've, you've made, a, you've made a, a a pretty good Spider-Man book. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't see that coming, right. but sure. I, the question is, does DC need a Spider-Man book? Well, it, yeah... Because it's had Spider-Man books before. Static was Spider-Man. Sure. 
Sure. Firestorm in its way was Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, but yeah, I think Doomed does Dr. Fate better than Dr. Fate does. Wow. It's really strange. The, yeah, there, there's a, a number of, of strange books. Uh, did you read All-Star Section 8? I did read All-Star Section 8. Yeah. That's a weird ass comic, Jeff. <laughs> yes. But uh, now, just to be clear, I'm assuming you weren't like a Hitman fan, right? I was not a Hitman fan. Yeah. So, on the I one hand. I wasn't a Hitman either, but, sure. um, yes. I, yeah, even so, even if I was, I don't think I would have expected this book. Yeah, it's strange. As somebody who was a Section 8, uh, uh, old Hitman fan, and part of me is like, oh, I gotta, I gotta break this out, you know, sort of a little bit. Like, I bought the issues of Hitman, but I didn't read them. But I'm like, I'll be fine. I can go into this cold. And All-Star Section 8 really felt like, like, I know Garth Ennis has been writing comic books, like, consistently since, you know, over over the last decade. It felt like somebody who (laughs) has... Over the last two decades. Well, yes. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to figure out, like, when he stopped writing Hitman. Essentially, you know, so, so yes, of course he's been, he's been writing them since the, the, like, God, he was doing Hellblazer in the early nineties. Yeah. You know, some troubled souls got to be like 87, 88, 89, something like that. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and he's doing, he was doing Hellblazer in, yeah, it must've been the late eighties and it was good. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's, he's been working consistently in comics. Section eight felt read very oddly to me like kind of like oh here's someone who is who just kind of fundamentally can't quite remember what they how to do it you know what i mean like i it's, it reads like someone's first comic doesn't it, it and really it's not does. helped at all by joe mccree's hilarious yet weirdly out of place and unconfusing uh art references oh man the stuff Which are with Batman was spot on, yeah. but also so fucking weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. That stuff was hilarious. That was actually, to me, in some ways, the the absolute funniest part of the book. Well, I think that's the part that made me like not go with this is a disaster of a book. Yeah, but it's like I honestly had the moment of. Okay, is this a joke or is this actually serving a purpose? Because it's not just that he goes and now I'm going to ape Neil Adams. It's now I'm going to ape Neil. Ape Neil Adams, and he's Batman's going to be suddenly in a different costume as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or now I'm going to do Jim Aparo, and Batman's going to be in a different costume. Now I'm going to be do, do Kelly Jones, and Batman's in a different costume. And I was like, is it just that no one could be bothered to make the costumes consistent to slightly dial back the homage? <laughs> or do you know what I mean? Like the fact that the costume change, I was like, is this actually part of the story? It 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 serves because it could be. Yeah, no, no. It serves some. I don't know if it ends up serving a, the story purposes. It clearly serves a satirical purpose that I'm sort of still trying to unpack. But, but it, but it was, but it was really funny. I mean, there were also parts where, um, you know, just in terms of like, oh, you know, somebody gave six pack his first drink, and he's immediately like drunk and throwing up on people i was like oh okay that is this is what i would sort of expect from a garth ennis opening but then it becomes almost like the wizard of oz like then he's like suddenly back in the bar in the costume and i i'm sort of half wondering if because the comic starts uh 
with him being, you know, sort of an artsy man about town and then he drinks and just totally loses control. Um, that the idea is, is that, is that six pack, that six pack himself is actually some sort of, um, uprarious piss take on, on either high art or, or people in the using people in the art world to critique people in the comic book industry. So yeah, that's where I went with it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not sure I went from art worlds as much as I looked at it as actually commentary on Ennis himself mm. that he's for one of a better way of putting it escaped Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden one slip and he's right back in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it was meta commentary on the fact that he's not only doing a new DC book, but he's also doing a fucking Secret Wars book. Right, right. Yeah, it could be. Could I, that that would make a lot of sense to me? But I I think the specific level of the lifts, apart from them just being hilarious, is suggesting the idea to me that that either a none of it's real, or b it's going to be a little bit of a piss take on the type of stories that conclude that none of it was real and was all happening in a character's head, you know? And so it's, it's the weirdest stuff. And also I'm not the biggest Anna's fan, yeah. but some of the jokes seemed surprisingly lazy. Mm-hmm. Even within that. Yes. I, and that's where it, it really, you know, sur- like the, the, the Batman joke where he talks about you people, not you people. I'm not a racist. Yes. Like that seemed so obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know, it, it feels like the oddest, oddest comic. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, it, it really feels like the sort of book where it's like, oh yeah, this person stopped writing comics, but then we got them to come back and they sort of remember vaguely what what they thought people found funny. Yeah, they, and... they remember what a comic looks like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I, I do remember this, but yeah, no, there's, there is, uh, there, there's a lot of it that it seems... Um, very strange. Let's put it that way. And 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 lazy. And there are ways that it wouldn't surprise me if Ennis was kind of like, eh, you know, I did it because I, you know, knew that McRae would get a good paycheck out of it or something, you know, or that he gets a good paycheck out of it. Uh, could be, could be. Um, I kind of uh, that that certainly could be the case. Yeah, that was odd. What did what did you think of uh, Robin, son of Batman, or you know? Just as importantly, what did I think of Robin, son of Batman? What did you think of Robin? Uh, I thought it was fine if scattered and didn't present a good enough reason for the book to exist for me. Uh, well, yeah, interestingly enough. Especially I, with We Are Robin also existing. Right. Like, I don't think the market can support two Robin books. Right. And I don't think that Robin, son of Batman really did anything other than make you go... Okay, so they've realized they have to do something with Damien. Uh, could be, could be. I I thought it was very much a case of like they're like, well, we're getting rid of the the Batman and Robin title, but we really like Patrick Gleason's work. You know, it's it is very much a it's very much a continuation of the stuff that he was doing in Batman and Robin, just mm-hmm. without Tomasi, but but that weird mix of you know, really kind of adorable, sweeping, 
action adventure uh, art with a kid in the center of it, um, and really sort of strange, foreboding. You know those those horror sequences that that Gleason seems to really dig. So it's like it's Hellboy light in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's actually a really good comparison because, of course, by the time he cracks open the the secret vault where he's had his basically his you know the the idea that that Robin realizes that he has to make his year of amends for the shit that he did before he became Robin is, is an okay idea for the book. It's very heavily buried in there. And um, I think there's also some problems that Gleason has uh, as far as, as far as tone goes, you know, he's got basically the idea that we, you know, what he enjoys about and what we enjoy about Damian Wayne as Robin is, is that he's not a kinder, gentler Robin. Um, and yet, you know, when you see a scene where he is punching out someone's teeth, like literally shown knocking the teeth out of their head, uh, on, on, on the splash page, you're kind of like, uh, I don't know if that's, you know, it's kind of like that. That's not especially funny. haha to me. I'm sure every, you exactly. know, it's, it's supposed to read as comedy. Yeah, and cartoony. Exactly. But exactly. When you also have the horror tones in there. Yeah. There there's something jarring about it. It's it, overall I think it's a very scattered book. Mhm. Uh I think there's a lot that's really unclear in it. Mhm. Mhm. Uh, and I think he's juggling too many pieces. Well, or yeah, he's he I think again there's a little bit of the um you know, an artist who knows what he wants to draw and is still working at trying to fit the pieces together in a coherent way. And so it doesn't quite seem especially coherent. That being said, I feel as much as I enjoyed it, I, I feel like, of course, the last year of Batman and Robin was pretty scattered as well. So, yeah, um, I, I, I think you're I think you're very right. I, I And, you know, Robin's on a Batman issue one might be better than the last year of Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because there, there was a lot of the last year of Batman and Robin, which kind of felt a bit like contractual obligations and cleaning up other people's messes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, there was a lot of it. I mean, just the whole, the, the super Damien story going, going literally should, should nowhere. It should have been fun, right? Yeah. But it wasn't. Well, part, I, I don't know. It was like, part, I thought that parts of it were fun, but then it came to the point where, again, it's this weird tonal thing is very much that idea of you look at those issues. Damien has superpowers. It should be a laugh. But meanwhile, of course, he's, you know, they, they show his interior life repeatedly. Like a, he's very frequently having really beautiful looking, but incredibly disturbing nightmares. And you're like, okay, this is not going to end well. And then at, it's like a three issue long silver age Superman story. You literally yeah. get it where. And, and, it, and it really went nowhere is the problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then his powers went away. Yeah, exactly. Like, good uh, job. Uh, we uh, burnt them out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, the fuck? Like, that is, that is, that is not the good side of Silver Age, you know, DC storytelling that I think you want to read. I don't know though. I mean, I, I loved what Smasi did on Green Lantern Corps. 
And, and uh, Green Lantern, whatever the one came after that, Emerald Warriors, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, like, really, genuinely thought he did great work on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but his, he's doing uh, Superman Wonder Woman right now, mm-hmm. and that's just been dire. Yeah, you, you've said so. You've said. I so. mean, that, that's and and the, the the all of the Superman books from the relaunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've been really good with the exception of Superman Wonder Woman, which is, it's, it's wheel spinning of, it, like, it's mm-hmm. literally a book that has no reason to exist. Yeah. And completely fails to convince anyone that they're of anything else in that for new relaunch issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, but, I can you know, see that. Even Superman Batman has a, a real energy, sorry, Batman Superman, Batman's name goes first now, um, has a, uh, an intensity to it as it has a purpose to it mm-hmm. and Superman Wonder Woman does not hmm. and it's it's yeah Tomasi's I don't know why but his his stuff really seems to go off the bio lately yeah I, I I think so I mean who knows he might be doing too much maybe he's got some other other irons in the fire where he's putting more energy toward it or maybe he just is doing too much like, oh, let me step in and clean up. You know, he's basically been voted clean, Dan DiDio's cleanup man, and uh, and it hasn't necessarily helped him, I think. Because I feel like Superman Wonder Woman is a book that is ridiculously hard to have anything happen in a way because it's, because it's, because you've got two major characters who are supposed to be having a romance with one another. You know, and it just but seems... I think you can still, because I think Sewell did stuff that still worked within that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sewell but, did it. But, but... Tomasi, Tomasi just doesn't. Tomasi mm-hmm. pretty much looks at it as, okay, these two characters are in the book. Right. Yeah. He's probably like, I'm yeah, doing it like we'll... a team-up book, you know? Yeah. So... And it's and so it's just, it's... But like Action Comics Superman and uh, Batman Superman all really sell me on the this is the new status quo of Superman. Right. To the point where I'm like, oh, I guess I'm buying all the Superman books again. Well, that's, that's fabulous. I think that's, that's a good sign, you know, to get back to your question of what I'm buying from Marvel. Uh, maybe there's a more complete list, but I can, I was buying spider Gwen. I was buying squirrel girl, you know, one of which was is coming back, and the other of which I suspect probably won't be. Um, which is a shame, but I don't think the sales are even vaguely there for Squirrel Girl. Yeah, which it is. It is a shame because it is. It is. On that side, didn't they all get like multiple printings? Well, I thought so. Maybe they, they've definitely start. no. They've definitely had uh, multiple printings with the new covers with the eats nuts, cake spots covers oh yeah but then i'm pretty sure i saw the sales figures for the most recent issue and it was in the toilet yeah yeah i i i would have to check it out I, it's so funny I, i'm like oh, i haven't seen marvel sales figures in such a long time i have no idea what their sales are where their sales are um i uh picked up issue i probably will be i don't know buying secret wars until i'm not uh i picked up the first (laughs) issue of weird world and i have to say i enjoyed it it was actually it's a gorgeous looking book and you know it feels like it is jason aaron's way of doing it's it's 
I mean, in, in, it's him doing Conan in a in in a crazy mixed up anything can happen way. Like I don't want to give away too much, but I will say that aquatic apes are involved uh, at the at the with the conclusion of issue one, which I thought was was marvelous. Um, I, Everyone loves a good aquatic ape. Who I can does it? Yeah, I exactly. checked. Squirrel Girl's last sales were at twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. Okay. Yeah. So, which is started started from forty one thousand. Oof. So, yeah, the the fact that it fell that far in a year, I think that it's in in a, in, in a year, Jeff. <laughs> Sorry, in less than a year. Sorry, in five months. Ooh, really? Five months? Aren't they on issue? It's only on issue five. No. Sorry, that's not true. The last sales that are in are issue oh, five. Okay. Issue, issue six, five. obviously, this month. Yes. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. Okay. So, right. That is, that is a plummet. Um, so I think, I think that's gonna, I think chances are good that's gonna go away. I, part of me thought that Weird World was gonna continue, but now that they've announced Doctor Strange with Aaron writing it, I think Weird World might end up leading into Doctor Strange somehow. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, again, who knows where Aaron is going to go with it, but it, like I said, it really does feel a little bit like Jason Aaron being like, God damn it, I figured out a way to do Thundar the Barbarian and I'm going to do it, you know? Um, I'm going to call him Archon. Yeah. I'm going to fucking get my Saturday morning Kirby. Yeah. A, a little bit with, with the, and the art by uh, by Mike Del Mundo really is l- lovely. So I don't know. I, I read the uh, Marvel Unlimited issues of Elektra talking about Del Mundo. Oh, uh-huh. because I was like, it's free right. and it's Del Mundo. So how bad can it be? And the answer is the art's lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that is the way that it is. Uh, I picked up Ghost Racers number one, um, which is a Secret Wars book about the various Ghost Riders characters all chasing each other around and around in circles. And as a concept, it's great. Yeah. What what are we going to do with all the Ghost Riders? Wacky races, anyone? Sure. Yeah, I mean, well, it it would almost... That's great. I'm not being fantastic. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, And so I was like, oh, I got to pick this up. And there's something that's a little... It would be great. It would be great if the scale was bigger. It's also something, the idea of like the story launches, the races have been happening for a while. And there's, there's kind of that idea of... Well, it, what I think is interesting about it is, is I think that Philippe Smith is doing a story about basically about trademark renewal characters. You know what I mean? Like the, the idea is that the ghost riders are all racing each other around and around and around and around in circles. And currently, um, Robbie Rios, who's the main guy, keeps winning and there's very much this idea he keeps telling himself he has to win for reasons that don't make much sense to me because the other ghost riders have all been like issue two, you know, coming in second, third or fourth place. And then they just all race again, you know? And so there's kind of an idea like, and at, at one point, you know, one of the, one of the other Ghost Rider characters, like Danny Ketch or Johnny Blaze, basically yells at Robbie Reyes, like, hey, 
You know, you think you're on top now, but the curse of the ghost writers is going to catch up with you. And I think that I, I think, I think that Smith is, is created this very sort of like, you know, folded within the rat, wacky races concept is this idea of like, yeah, you just, you get a, you get a, your chance to, to get in, get in the ring. Um, and then you run around and around and around in circles. Uh, and then your time's done, you know, and then five years later, it's going to be someone else's, you know, conception of a ghost writer, you know, and your character is going to be a supporting character in their book, you know, mourning their pathetic life. And so it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's not especially like I read the first issue and it's like the art didn't really knock me out. And I'm kind of like, eh, I guess I'll come back for the second issue. But, but since the, since at least in my conception of it, the whole point of the, the series is a little bit about torpor, I guess, you know, or, or creative limitations. It feels it feels far too limited and restricted anyway to me. I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, this is an, a really interesting take on superhero comics in a way, and especially the, the curse of, of Ghost Rider. But it is also a, it's like, I have no idea. <laughs> like when I got through the end of the first issue, I was like, I probably don't need to read a second issue of this. I, I, I probably will, but I really, really don't need to. So, um, whereas something like, you know, weird world where it's like, oh, it's Prince Archon and he's trying to get back to his kingdom, but he has to cross, uh, you know, all this weirdness. I'm like, oh, okay. At least there's an end game in sight kind of, you know? Yeah. Um, and this one is very much about, is about the inertia. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Did you end up seeing or getting your hands on a press release or, uh, uh, reviewer copy of the fiction um, from Boom? Uh, I have, and I haven't read it. Oh, okay. Because I read it. And it's, I, I, it's on my list of... I, I am terrible. I have a list of PDFs to read, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. But it, yeah, I do. And it's on there. <laughs> it just sounds ridiculous. Many, many 2080s, and I feel I feel really bad about it, because I was like, I should have read them while I was gone, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... anyway, how is it? Because I've heard actually really good things about it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I have to say, as a dude who totally skipped uh, the unwritten, um... it did remind me very strongly of the unwritten when I looked at the the solicit. Yeah. So I I'll be really curious to see. Like, so someone someone could pick this up and be like, "Oh, Jeff," but. This is just the unwritten. But I, I honestly, I thought it was one thing that I thought was by contrast with, say, uh, Prez, I thought the book did the, the first issue of the fiction did a great job of like setting up its premise, what's happening, you know, who the characters are getting to the end with the sort of with the new hook. Like that, that worked really well. It's a very, um, and it's a very Stephen Kingy type book too at the same time, because it very much has to do with um, these kids who, you know, basically get to play in um, this, this, the world inside a book until one of them disappears. And then it's years later and they're all, you know, 
they've all convinced themselves that for the most part, something else has happened and they're also kind of unhappy adults and they have to come to terms with what happened. So it's very much like, Oh, it's kind of like it meets the unwritten, but, but he did a really good job with it. And I thought the, I thought the, um, the storytelling, um, by David Rubin with, uh, colors by Michael Garland were, was good. It was quite nice. Um, I'm not quite sure. Like the last couple of pages were kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm how, how, where it's necessarily going to go. I suppose like I'm a little, I'm a little worried that uh, the, the end of the issue has them returning to the realm of the book. And it's of course that realm has sort of changed and kind of blackened and been torn apart. It, it looks like, and part of me is like, ugh. Really? Uh, okay. We'll see if, we'll see where that goes. I think it would be much more interesting to see people dealing with, um, you know, almost something like childhood, you know, where it's like childhood is eternal. It's just not, you can't, your stay in it isn't, I suppose. You know what I mean? So, mm. I don't know. Uh, it was, it was not bad. I have to say, I picked it up and was glad I did and, and will pick it up. Are you behind on Transformers versus G.I. Joe? Oh, massively. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> too. Like, really? To the where I was not even sure if they were still publishing it because I haven't seen an issue in that long. <laughs> wow. My goodness. Well, all I have to say, Graham, is, is I'm not sure if issue five or six is going to do it for you. Cause I think Seoli and Barber had kind of hit this point of sort of maximum insanity as far as the, as far as the book went, which was on the one hand amazing, but also kind of felt like I feel like I'm reading the same issue over and over again, but Issue seven, I think you definitely should look out for and pick up because it has, let's just say it has the return of one of your favorite G.I. Joe scenarios in a new setting in a way that I oh think Oh my you God, you've got to unpack that for me. For me. What? Let's you just... Could spoil. I'm fine being spoiled. Okay. Warning everybody, uh, I, I am going to spoil it. Uh, basically the, the end of six, Scarlet is in a asylum playing with dolls. And essentially the, the gist is, is that GI Joe's, that she, she is just a normal, uh, housewife. She is fantasizing every Transformers. Yes. Has fantasized all of Transformers GI Joe. And so the issue, issue seven actually ends up being, the prisoner episode of Transformers GI versus GI Joe, where she has a uh, Dr. Mindbinder, whose name is like Mendelbaum or something, is her psychiatrist and is trying to, con- you know, convince her that she had a nervous breakdown. She's got a husband, she's got kids, and she is in the very completely regular suburban town of, is it New Springfield? It's the, um, so yeah, yeah, Springfield. Yes, yeah, Springfield. Um, and the reveal of Springfield on like about page halfway through the book in a double page spread is 
fantastic. It's fantastic. Anyway, so it's very much she's there and she's seen other people who she remembers as Joes, but are just regular people that she works with, who she keeps telling them, like, you can break out of this. And, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, but in the, in the middle of the absolutely insane Transformers versus G.I. Joe universe and the way that they bring back Springfield and what he ends up doing with uh, just a lot of really crazy Frank Miller callbacks and stuff. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. I think you would like it a lot. You could probably skip over issues five and six and dive are, right into Are they into not it. particularly yeah. good? Like, I want to say issue four might be the last issue I read. Um, it's not that they're bad. I have to say, how do I, the, the pleasant way to put it is, it reminded me of the tremendous failure that was my Sartrean existentialism class in college. You know? Cause, it, when I, when I took existentialism, we were reading, we had the, the, the whole class, it was like, you read Jean-Paul Sartre's Being in Nothingness. And you get, tested on it and the thing and I, I I read the book, I was a little behind on the reading, I was going to all the lectures, and at some point it became clear because Sartre, who is kind of a fuckhead when it comes to his writing style, I clearly was like, he's just saying the same things over and over and over again. No, apparently he was not. So GI Transformers vs. G.I. Joe uh issues five and six have all kinds of amazing set pieces happen. In fact, the, the scope of the set pieces happen, you know, sort of, you know, on a larger and larger spectrum. But the pacing is such that I literally don't know. There's no sense of time move, moving forward. It's kind of as if the those issues from four to six, in theory, the Joes are on Cybertron. Uh, in theory, Cybertron is drawing closer to the Earth, and this is a, um, you know, the clock is ticking, is getting closer and closer to the bomb going off under the table. But it doesn't really feel like it. You've got lots of double-page spreads that, as I think Joe McCulloch pointed out, almost look like play, you know, action playset ads or something, where you've got robots on one side and, like, people standing in the middle firing arrows off a tower. And meanwhile, you know, nine million, like, Cobra troops are skydiving out of the sky and everyone's talking and there's little inset circles and index cards. Like, you know, uh, Scioli's really pushing the amount of information that he's jamming into the page to kind of, you know, I don't know, force your comic book third eye open even wider but it all feels like um, all velocity, but no me- momentum. There's there's no narrative momentum that's there. And all the little, I think you remember from the first four issues, he tends to slice things up into like little two or three page vignettes, you know. Um, but since, since the Joes have hit Cybertron, there's events where some people get captured, some, you know, some people come back from the dead, some people are killed before they come back from the dead. Um, but it all just kind of seems, um, it's, it's, it's all played at the same, at the same volume. So, uh, so I, I have to say, I was reading five and six being like, this is amazing, but it moved more into the realm of, 
I, I, as we were talking about Transformers versus GI Joe is almost an uh, an outsider's art, piece of outsider's art. It 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 had that same feeling that outsider's art sometimes has, which is that it can feel obsessive, um, and in and the obsession has a tremendous charge and is incredibly interesting. But as time goes on, you don't feel you you don't necessarily feel as rewarded for the time that you put in i suppose you know so um so it was almost like browsing an art comic issues issues 5 and 6 reminded me of a lot of what it was like to when i read raw magazine for the first time mm-hmm. where you know I, I, there's a lot about the first four issues that is very art comic-y as well yes. i think that one of the appeals of the sh- the series in general has been that it feels like someone has snuck an art comic out with the Transformers G.I. Joe characters in it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Which is, which is tremendous. I think, um, my thing is, is that I tend to be a little bit more of a, given my druthers, give me a conventional narrative with, uh, art comics touches. Um, mm-hmm. raw for the most part with very few exceptions, prided itself i at least from the issues i remember very well as um at least half half of any given issue if not more was given up to non-narrative comics you know where the the comics had a pull and a drive strictly through the strength of the storytelling or the originality of the art or the pacing. But by the time you got to the end of a sequence, you weren't like, well, I, I had a story, you know what I mean? And, uh, so issues five and six, although I was reading them and being like, holy shit, this is crazy. I was also kind of like, it also felt like, I don't really know if I need to read like, this many more issues of what feels like exactly the same experience to me, yeah. which is why I was super grateful when issue seven comes along and really changes things up and, you know, play plays a bit with, you know, old GI Joe concepts and giving them a spin sort of the same way that they've done with the transformers, but even more to the point, um, kind of, just playing with a different kind of narrative, like just play, just bringing narrative back into the mix. However, briefly, uh, I was I was pretty grateful for it. It's I I want to return to it. I just it's one of these things that just slips through the cracks for me. I I make it to the store so rarely that mm-hmm. when I go, like if it's not immediately in my head. Same with Annihilator. I've not read Annihilator past issue four. Oh, interesting. Well, you I think you only missed one issue, and then I think the last issue six came six out is out this today. week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, and apparently it's great. I was reading a review of it and the, rev- the review is pretty much like, yeah, it, it, it kind of got away from him at times, but this is a great final issue. That's fabulous. Yeah. Which I, made me go, ah, shit, I really I need to catch up with that. But I also, like I read the first issue of Annihilator and then forgot it existed for issues two and three. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I, I was like, oh, issue four's out. Wait, issue four's out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We were like, I guess I've, I've missed that book a lot. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think help was in my favor. Mm-hmm. I think it re- it really worked to read two, three, and four back to back. I I think that's I think there's a lot to be said for that. I I honestly thought that uh, Annihilator, when Annihilator and Multiversity were were popping up at the same time, 
uh, I thought that I thought that both both books benefited from it. Um, I I've generally thought Annihilator as as being one of the stronger things that that Morrison's done recently. So so it's been on my uh, it's been on my radar. Things that have been off my radar are like I'm like four issues behind on like Lazarus. I'm like at least three issues behind on is it the big, is it just the fade out the brew Baker book? Mm-hmm. Um, at least three issues behind. Uh, I, I sat down and read, um, have bought all three issues of no mercy by Alex DeKempe, Carla speed McNeil, uh, and Jen Manley Lee and issues. I had to, I, I basically fell behind on two issues of that. Um, and then I think I mentioned zero, you know, I told you I'd fallen off on and you told me I should get back on. And I read issues 16 and 17, which were kind of, um, <laughs> as you had pointed out, pretty amazing in terms of, right? yeah, like where like, you thought, thought you knew where it was going. Yeah. Oh, I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. It really and considering he's doing that three issues from the end of the book. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, except it kind of does feel like, I don't know, like these issues really feel like they are the end of the book, you know? Well, no, exactly. Like yeah. the, the direction he takes it, you're like, of course he's wrapping it up. Yeah, exactly. Cause it, you, it, you can't, you can't do this and not wrap it up. Like yeah, you're, yeah. you were clearly heading towards the end of the story. Yeah. There's, there's, but at it, the same time, if anyone had said to you on like issue three of that series. Yes. Right. Do you know what's going to happen in the last three issues? <laughs> you'd be like, you're fucking high. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, really strange, right? Um, I mean, kind uh, of amazing. I, one of the things I'm behind on, and this is... I, I don't know if there's such a thing as being intentionally behind on something, but I've continually put off reading it because I don't think I'm in the right frame of mind and I, I want to give it more attention, uh, is Material, the new Alice Scott book. Ah. Uh, uh, which I've heard really good things about mm-hmm. but I, I i'm loving the surface which is another of the of his image books that he's doing right now right. but i made the mistake of reading that with other comics last mm-hmm. time um and and it knocked my brain sideways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the point where like i couldn't read anything after it but i also didn't think that i'd read surface properly either mm. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you read something, and you're just like, okay, I was on a track and now I'm off a track. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, see and that. So I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to just read, like collect all the issues and then read it in a wonder. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. like, I think I have to be. I think I have to be in a specific mindset. It's um, like, like when I was younger, Jeff, and I was reading <laughs> Philip K. Dick, and I could only read Philip K. Dick if I was only reading Philip K. Dick. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, you, you know, you, I, I said that there wasn't, there was a peer pressure to Philip K. Dick and Terry Southern at the same time. And that was a bad idea. <laughs> a terrible idea. I read like the Magic Christian and Valis at the same time. Ooh. No, do not do that, people. Just wow. Do, that is a brain combination that you should not have. Graham, wow. That's, that's some serious, literary speedball shit you're doing that's, well, that's exactly and i had no idea i had no idea <laughs> like i knew because this was the again this was the late 90s right 
So I knew the Magic Christian because... Fuck, I want to say like it was referenced in The Invisibles or something. That would make sense. Uh, and, you know, also with the movie. Like, the movie's got Peter Sellers and it's got Ringo, and so it was like, okay, like, I, I this has been enough in my brain space. I should just read the book. And I found the book super cheap. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll just read the book. And I was in the middle of, like, reading Transmogrification of Timothy Archer and, and wow. a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm reading Valis and uh, The Magic Christian at the same time. And for people who don't know these books, these books on different levels basically say everything you know about reality is wrong. Um, Valis on a, a metaphysical level and Magic Christian on a basically rich people are fucking with you always level. <laughs> I think that's fair to say, right? I haven't read it. I haven't read it. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, so the Magic Christian is uh, a story about an incredibly rich man called Guy Grand. And Guy Grand's purpose in life basically is to be rich and to fuck with people. <laughs> the end. <laughs> And so the entire book is like his pranks that he mm-hmm. does just to fuck with people. And it's not like, ha ha, it's like, I I decided that I was going to ruin your marriage and get you fired from your job just to see if I could. Just, yeah, just to see if I could do it. And, and like, he's he thinks it's a, you know, a great jape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, so I'm reading these two books at the same time. Oh my God. And my brain is just like, nope. Nope! Stop! <laughs> Don't do that! Do not do this! Boop, 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 boop! You have to interact with people at some point. This is not a good idea to keep doing this. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. And so, and seriously, like, uh, I was reading, so I was reading whatever else I was reading. I was probably reading a bunch of, of image stuff at the same time that I was reading Surface. Um, and I got to the second edition of Surface and I was just like, nope. <laughs> Nope, I like I. I think I went on to read a Lazarus afterwards. Oh wow! And my brain was just like, no, no, it's not working. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not sticking. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I remember what happened three pages back, not sticking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the same time, I was also like, but yeah, but that that issue of the surface didn't work either. Like that that didn't stay in my brain either. Yes, it was literally just like I skipped off the track reading it, and so I was just like, okay, I'm going to have to read this. Like as this, I'm gonna to have to read this dedicated. Sit down, take take everything else away from my brain. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm actually somewhat worried about that because the number of times, like I, the number of books that I picked up where I was like, ah, I, I am, I know I read last month. I'm really hard pressed to figure out. Like No Mercy, I picked, I had issues two and three of No Mercy together, which on the one hand means that it had been, you know. Like if I read issue one when it first came out, it's, it, you know, has been two months, but I sat down to read it. It's got a large collection of characters and issue two. I'm like, I don't, who are these? I don't remember any of these people. And then, so I went back, reread the first issue, like reread all three issues in a row. And I was like, oh, okay. Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. And part of me is curious. Like part of me is like, okay, I'm, am I, Am I reading too much and not paying enough attention? Or am I kind of getting to the age where maybe a lot of monthly comics won't necessarily work for me because I'm just not tracking enough from month to month, you know? Because mm. at that point, it does seem a little bit like, maybe I should wait for the trade. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's also one of the reasons why um, I've been such a 
big proponent of digital for me is, is because when I've got everything on digital, it's like, oh, okay, then I can sit down and I can read, I can reread the previous issue and I don't have to go digging around in, in the back issues. Oh, speaking of which, one of the things that was great, you, I don't know if you remember this book. This, this actually, this is a comic that used to have a lot of heat. Uh, for a while until it disappeared off the stands. But I was, I was reading, um, Afterlife with Archie, number eight. I don't know if you remember it, but, uh. I, I read, I, I read Afterlife with Archie. I don't have to remember it. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic because of their shit publication schedule. Issue, issue, <laughs> I really dug issue eight. And I'm like, again, I, that was great reading it. And, and I, but there was a certain part where it really helped in a way for me. I don't know. For whatever reason, I was like, oh, thank God I remember the stuff that had immediately happened sort of in the prior issues because because it had been such a – I think it had been a relatively – if it hadn't been a big delay in, in publication, which I was pretty sure it was, it was definitely a long delay since I had read the previous issue. And so being able to read all this stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. This works okay for me. I can I can, I can can handle this. Um but, but that, that was, that was the exception to the rule. Like really the Lazarus stuff with the three issues that I'm behind on now, part of me is like, because I never bought any of it digitally. There was a digital sale recently and I was like, should I just snap up those first two trades and all the individual issues and then, then just get rid of my print copies because, because I really was, I was like, I don't remember a goddamn person from this. And I know that Rucka was trying to do like, here's a cast of a million, you know? So comics, Graham McMillan, it's going to be really, it's going to be, it's going to be really, it's either going to be really hilarious or really, really boring when I have uh, developed Alzheimer's, but I still insist on doing the podcast <laughs> with you. Oh my God. With not the greatest. Like, what are you reading, Jeff? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Graham, let me tell you, there's a book, Afterlife with Archie, number eight. Have I mentioned it? You're, yes. Yes. <laughs> Every episode. Uh, are you still reading the Sabrina book? Oh, you know what? Never mind. Are you reading the Black Hood? Uh, yes. Although, did is that another one where, is, did everything interesting just come out yesterday and I completely missed it or something? Uh, I want to say the Black Hood might have actually come out yesterday. Issue The last part of the, the current uh, arc, yeah, arc, which is five yeah. issues or whatever. It was yeah. issue five, like yesterday yeah. or something. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah, no, uh, I, I was off. I told you it didn't take okay, for three. We did this, yeah, because yeah, exactly. you were off with issue three and came back with issue four. That is why I went back to reread all the new 52 stuff because I was like, Twain Sprzynski, I really like his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to read his, uh, Birds of Prey. So right. I basically was in the library being like, I'm going to read his prose books. Oh, he did Birds of Prey as well. I'll reread that. Well, I might as well read the Christy Marks stuff now, which was a bad <laughs> idea, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> It it was. <laughs> Listeners, don't follow my example. If you're reading Dwayne uh, Sprzynski, Birds of Prey, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff there, even though he clearly leaves the book mid-storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Chrissy Mark comes on, and she has her own ideas of what to do with the book, and just don't read the issues. There, there's some interesting stuff there, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just don't read the issues. <laughs> um... But yeah, but I, uh, I was like, yeah, I, I realized that that I really like Swarovski. Like, I like, I loved his Bloodshot, which is another book that just shouldn't have worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I really like Black Hood. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Black Hood is good, and yeah, I, I do remember reading that first issue of Bloodshot and thinking it was okay, and of course... Now that I've liked the Black Hood so much, I'm like, eh, I should go back and dig that up. So he's on for like a year, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. a bit longer. But uh, it pretty much—I might be misremembering, but I want to say he's on it for a year, and then gets pulled into a crossover with Harbinger, and then he's off the book. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a bit of a shame because he was doing some really interesting stuff, and again, he's just like gone all of a sudden, right? Uh, which it seems to be his comic career. Oddly enough, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy in that regard. Uh, I know that Matt Turrell, uh, who's uh, whatnot and friend of the podcast, uh, has told me a couple of times I should I should dip into his prose. That he's, he's... I that's that's what I got into. That mm-hmm. uh, I did a post yesterday on the on the main site uh, about the fact that I read Canary because it's the book that's advertised in the back of Black Hood, mm. prose book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Super fun and a super fast read, and I was like, "I'm sold." What else has he done? And he he did this trilogy of books uh, starring a character called Charlie Hardy, mm-hmm. and Jeff, I loved them. Yeah, I loved them so much. In part because it starts off being like, "Okay, crime thriller," and by the end, like by the beginning of the third book, it's gone from, you know, there are assassins trying to kill this actress in the, in Hollywood. To the beginning of the third book, spoilers everyone, but it's the beginning, so you'll all survive. He's fucking in space, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) The beginning of the third book is like, and then he was on a satellite, and he, Spurzinski literally just ramps up the craziness through all three books. And so it's like, you know, there's, uh, so the first book's uh, high concept is, this guy is, like, a former cop, kind of, like, that's explained in the story, who's mm-hmm. washed up and he's just given up, and, you know, he's, he's he's a tough guy, but he's given up, and he accidentally ends up in the middle of this assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. But the assassination attempt is by a group of specialists who make everything look like an accident. Mm. But they're so into creating the fake narrative, they've themed themselves after movie makers, and so all their code names are movie directors. Wow. Right? Great high concept. Yeah. Okay? Second book, he then ends up in a top secret prison filled with the most dangerous people on the planet. <laughs> because of course he does. Right. And in third book, he's fucking in space. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I respect the craziness here. Yeah. And he just continually is like, what's that? You think I've gone absolutely nuts so far? No, 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 my friend. <laughs> just <laughs> wait. Yeah, so by the time you get to the third book, he is like cycling through, like just ramping up craziness. Wow. So he's like, he's in space. He's not only in space, he's just met himself. He's met himself, they're on Earth. Who's who? <laughs> Maybe this guy's dead. Maybe this guy's dead. What if? And he just continually, you're like, what am I reading? Wow. Wow. So fun. And also, and this really appeals to me, super fast reads. I read each one in a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're dealing with something that that's like that's that pulpy and crazy, mm-hmm. that really helps. Yeah, yeah, that that's to a huge advantage. You know what? I uh, one of the things that I've read a while ago, by which I want to say like two weeks ago, um, right either right before or right after our last Baxter building, that I was kind of curious. 
this is, did you, have you read Santa Claus Private Eye? No, I've never even heard of Santa Claus Private Eye. Oh, really? Eye. Oh my God. Cause of course, cause part of me is like, I was reading it being like, why hasn't Graham gotten his hands on this? Santa Claus Private Eye is a 12 part story that was on Thrillbent. Um, and it's, I remember seeing the tweets from both Mark Wade and John Rogers that were like, this, you know, it's like, this, this was the high concept that, that was so good. Like the guy, the guy sold this to us on just the title. So, and I have to say, although the art isn't fabulous and it's much closer to a very, very, very traditional private eye story, I think you would still get such a kick out of Santa Claus private eye. I'm, I'm in from the title. Yes, exactly. Do you know what so, I mean? Like it could literally just be. A regular private eye story, except he's wearing a Santa hat, and I'm still kind of in. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole, like, his ability to tell whether his client has been naughty or nice, or they do lots of little tweaks with that. It's fun. It's really fun. Um, and, and I have to say, it was also, I should, this is the problem. I'm going to have to look up who wrote it. Uh, the guy who wrote it did actually, I thought, a very good job of telling a complete story. Uh, it looks like Jeremy Bernstein did the, wrote it. Um, and let me see who did the art. Give me a second. Uh, Michael Dorman did the line art with Rob Schwager doing the coloring. And, uh, it's, yeah. I'll have to figure out how to get you, you know, you've got to get a copy because it was such it's, a... It's it's a just on Thrillbent? Like, can I literally just go into Thrillbent and read it? Uh, if you have a subscription to Thrillbent, you can. So, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so, yeah, basically for the cost of three ninety nine. So that was something I wanted to tell you about. Also, I read King Cat 75, which I don't know if you've seen, but is... Um, John Porcolino's tribute, it's his issue long tribute to his cat, which has finally died. And of course, for people like me who've been reading King Cat for not a very long time, like only two or three years, and uh, that's not true. Maybe a little bit longer. You've been reading King Cat for longer than that because you've, you were reading King Cat, I'm pretty sure, before I left San Francisco that six years ago. Oh God. All right. The, oh, time. <laughs> Um, exactly. What was that you're saying about Alzheimer's? Jeff? Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So, you know, his cat has been a character in his comics for years and years and years and she passed. And so he tells basically the story of their time together. Oh, and I, oh, I could not read that. Yeah, it is. It is a heartbreaker. I really yeah, did get so I, choked I up at the end. I could not read that. I would go to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're interested in going to pieces, it's very, very well done. <laughs> but if you're a masochist, well, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you cry the purest tears at this story. Exactly. Exactly, Graham. <laughs> Haven't you seen Inside Out? Sadness is impressive. I haven't seen Inside Out, but I, I saw that you did. Yes. Oh, you did. Right. Because, of course, I, I wrote on it. That was a weird experience, I have to say. Like, being... It's an writing about films. What's that? 
Inside Out or writing about films? Uh, writing about films comes pretty naturally to me, I guess. I mean, that was like, oh, yeah, this will be fine. Like, half of these almost feel like, I mean, you know, in the case of Days of Future Past, it was... Uh, they 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 all seemed vaguely like comic book movies anyway. anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was it, it was strange being in the theater on, you know, the because this was the Thursday was before it, it officially was it opened. Your, was it you and Tim? It was me and Tim and Edie. Somehow, he managed not just to corral me into it, but Edie was like, "Yeah, I want to see that." I'm like. So suddenly we're at it. <laughs> There's nothing about that that does not amuse me. <laughs> Just the idea of your brother in Inside Out at all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Tim's really he's pretty interesting. That that guy, that dude is into his animated films. Like I know I I, I believe that for some reason. He's days. seen every yeah. Disney princess movie. You know what I mean? And wow. can talk I about not, them. So I did not expect that. Yeah. Listeners, when I'm talking about Tim, I'm talking about Jeff's brother, Tim. Yeah. Uh, who, if you can imagine the misanthropic clone of Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's Hulk, but absolutely hilarious. Like, if you imagine Jeff's Hulk, who is far funnier than either of us. Yeah. I think that's fair to say, right? I, I think so. I think so. I gave up trying to compete a long time ago. Uh, he's, he is just flat out hilarious. But yes, so yeah, imagine a scowling six foot four Goliath sitting through probably what was the opening day screening of The Princess and the Frog, you know. <laughs> hey, Randy Newman has some fans. I'm sure lots of people were there. I'm I'm sure they were. You're you're a Randy Newman fan, but you weren't there. So Exactly. I am Clearly a fair weather around in human <laughs> Apparently you are. Uh, well, like I said, Tim is just, uh, that's that's kind of who he was. And so he really was. He was like, well, we're going to do this, right? We're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. We're going to do this. Sure enough, there we are. Like, we were the only people without kids, uh, I think, in the entire audience. Um, that may not be true. But certainly, once you factor in our ages, we seemed a little suspect. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah it was I, I want to say that that happened with Kate and I for a film and I can't remember what it was. It might have been up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely I mean, God knows uh Inside Out is in a lot of ways it's a grown-up movie. I mean, I think I talked about how it very much takes the Toy Story template on there, but it's very much a uh Pixar's kind of brilliant move is to basically thematically the majority of its movies are about parenthood, you know, and and Inside Out is very, very much a movie that um, metaphorically is about the importance of kind of the importance of of parents having to uh, not be emotional helicopter parents, I suppose, you know. Like it's, you know, but at the same time, it's absolutely positively about that idea of like childhood is amazingly a special time and it's precious, but it also fades and you can't hold on to it. And if you do, you just make it worse kind of thing, you know, kind of the stuff that, that they, that becomes very explicit in stuff like Toy Story 3. Um, it's really there in Inside Out and so on the one hand, it was an enjoyable movie, but it also definitely, to me, in its way, 
felt like Pixar was saying like, we got to get the Pixar magic back. And, um, and, and which is kind of surprising because I feel that beforehand everyone was like, this is like, this just looks terrible. Yes. Yeah. I was, this is the one where everyone was like, yeah, you know, nobody wants to see this film. Yeah. And then the reviews started coming out and the reviews were pretty much like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. No, it's true. It was, it was like, I was like, I'm not going to see that. I saw the, the, the trailers. They, it just looks awful, Tim. He's like, I don't know. There were a lot of people who were saying that, you know, it should have won like the award at Cannes when it was shown there. And I'm like, bullshit. Cause Tim is, as you know, Graham, a ridiculous bullshitter. So the stuff that he will say with a straight face. And sure enough, he, he pulled up the articles and the reviews on the net and showed me, I was like, son of a bitch. Um, so it's good, but it's also, I, I also was entertained by how calculated it was, I suppose, you know, so, um, but worth seeing. I hope you, I hope you guys get a chance to check it out because it, in a way it, it's, it's by the guy who did up and, um, yeah, you know, uh, I have to say, I, I know it has terrible reviews, but I'm so tempted to go see Jurassic World because it is playing at the cheap theater around the corner. Ooh, yeah, totally. Do you know what I'm do like? That. I'm yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. the cheap theater around the corner. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's going to be worth that. It's going to be worth an evening, an evening of my time and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the pizzas they serve there. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, completely. Do it, Graham. Do it now. So that, that might be what I see for Inside Out. Before I see the good film, I might see the trashy film. Yeah, I might totally. help the trashy film's box Absolutely. office. You might as well. Good God, that thing was... Uh, I have to say, that movie did far, far better box office than I was expecting it to. Than I think anyone expected. Yeah. people, Even the people who are like, oh, it's going to be a hit, people were like, oh, wow. I well, refuse to believe that the people who made it aren't like that as well. You can't tell me the people who made it were, were like, it's going to be the biggest opening of all time. Yeah. yeah. There's no way... I don't think so. I mean, I think clearly someone was like, well, the time is, is, is due for this. But I think it really was, no, we did not realize, cause I really did have that feeling of like, I don't know, because they had cranked out shitty sequel after shitty sequel. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a little bit like, uh, like with Thor, you know, you make Thor go, like Jurassic Park was gone for just long enough that everyone forgot how shitty the follow-up movies were and then we're suddenly like oh my god you know all that remained was was the yeah i love jurassic park i've got to see this and of course exactly. dinosaurs right who doesn't love dinosaurs do you remember that bit in the original that was all that was left yeah yeah exactly exactly so that and chris pratt man i gotta tell you there's there's a guy let me tell you and that uh, is about as sophisticated I, I, as I was going to get with my commentary <laughs> for this episode. So maybe we should close that up. Yep. It's the two hours. Yeah. 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 Leave, leave it on a high note like that. Oh, God. Listeners, I'm sorry. At some point, whatever, whatever it is, the, whatever clever juice that I've stopped drinking, I will start drinking again. I'd hate to it's think that it's – the clever it, juice it within is inside you. It, is it? Wait, wait. What did you say that it was at first? The clever juice is inside you. Uh, you. You didn't say anything before that. I said it's all there. Oh, I thought you said it's all your hair, and I was like, it's, it's, it's all your hair. You're the Samson of beards. 
<laughs> That's pretty much it. I'm like, damn it, I trimmed it up and I lost IQ points. It makes sense. <laughs> the math <laughs> checks out. So, uh, yeah. Well, if you believe that theory, then maybe the math does check out. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> um, listeners, we're going to be back, I think, next That's week. Me. Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah, we've, we're, we're, we're going to have a lot of stuff because we didn't talk about any comic news this week. Uh, apart oh, from the, yeah. I guess, the all new all Marvel announcements. Right. Next week, though, that's going to be different because next week on Monday, Valiant is doing its Periscope, uh, pre Comic Con mm-hmm. announcements. And then next Thursday, the day we record, is Image Expo. Oh, yeah, the Image Expo. Holy crap. We're going to be talking and being bitchy next week. <laughs> but I want to say something before then, which is Tim Stevens, who writes for Marvel.com. Mm-hmm. You have waited this entire episode for me to mention you. No. And I'm sorry for that. There's a story behind this, Jeff, but it's not a story I'm going to share on the podcast. I'll share it afterwards. Oh, no. But I swear to God. Tim Stevens has honestly been waiting an entire episode for me to say his name. Tim, this is literally for you. <laughs> <laughs> the terrifying thing is, is I feel like if I had been cut in about this, like poor Tim, he's like, uh, why oh, if I told you, uh, we would have said it like the first five minutes, exactly. but no, Here at some is. point I was really going to do it early as well. And then at some point I was like, no, I'm going to do it right at the end. Oh. Oh man. Well, I, I will also say, and I'll throw this in in the show notes, that thanks to Graham's posting on his, uh, Tumblr, um, I read the most amazing Evangeline Lily, uh, interview about Ant-Man. It's so great, isn't it? So good. So good, everyone. Definitely. Yeah, we, we put that in the show notes because it's hilarious. Uh, to give people who don't know what we're talking about a hint, it's the one where someone asks her if any of the Ant-Man comics have inspired her performance, and she's like, no, they're all crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I really, that really genuinely made me go, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're actually wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find the, the quote. I'm trying to scroll down to the quote. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to get in my hands an original Ant-Man comics, where you get them. I've been given a couple of recent Ant-Man comics. No offense, Marvel, but they're total crap. <laughs> I really want to read the original ones, because I got through two, and I was like, dude, you can't force-feed me another one of these magazines. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can only imagine what like her PR people were doing at that point. Yeah, well, I don't know. They read it this morning, and they were like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I think one of the things that's impressive ab- about it is, yeah, that may not be exact. They they may be less than thrilled with that, but, um, but I mean, at least for her and her stock, I'm like, hmm, you know. Exactly. You're, you're suddenly like, okay, you're, you're kind of cool. Well, and also, how do I put it? The, like, that, that, uh, unfortunate, um, PR misstep aside, um, one of the things that by being, by speaking so candidly about the movie, um, she kind of does a great job of, 
because her view seems to sort of reflect the view of people looking at the Ant-Man movie. You know, she was like, yeah, yeah it kind of was, I didn't have much of a place in it. It really just seemed like it was going to be a thing, but there's a lot of really talented people working on it. And I got a chance to like, my character got to be bigger and more interesting. And I feel like the overall story is more interesting, you know? And she did a great job of making it kind of seem like she was like, no, there's, there's some real acting there. This is, this is like, there was a certain point where I realized like, Oh, this is going to be a real movie, which I think a lot of people feel is not is going not to be the case. case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so in that way, it's practically PR magic uh, in terms of the larger narrative being what they could hope for. But yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> but if nothing else, all of her stuff about it was like, huh, Evangeline Lilly. She's got some interesting takes on things. I have to say, <laughs> I'm now even more sad that I didn't get a chance to interview her at last year's Comic Con. Oh, what a shame. Well, apparently, you know, Lauren Davis spent some time gabbing with her in New Zealand on the set of The Hobbit and had said that she was pretty great. So I think that was a great humble brag on behalf of Lauren that she was on the set of The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we'll leave you with that humble brag on behalf of uh, one of our mutual friends. Exactly. That, that sounds like the classic wait what humble brag where we're actually doing it about someone that is not either of us. Uh, we will be back next week with lots of bitchy comic news, um, hopefully some more bitchy comic reading to, to, to do, and uh, we'll see. Maybe I will get a little um, – I might start a pool going to see if Graham gets to the comic store next week. We'll see. You know? Okay. Uh, everyone tell me the over and under and bribe me. As to <laughs> see, that's it. If you, It's no good go. if you know, Graham. It's no good if you know. <laughs> I'll have to figure out a way to stage it without yeah. you. Who is going to pay the most yeah. to make it work for them? Um, we are available, as ever, on waitwhatpodcast.com, where there is not only show notes for each episode, but there are also written posts from uh, Jeff and myself, a bit of variety of topics. Normally, we review comics. Jeff and I both haven't done that for a while. We've been writing about books and films. Yes. Sorry, you guys. Um, we're also on waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Mm -hmm. We're on Twitter at at wait what podcast. Mm -hmm. Jeff, you are at lazy bastard, l a z y b a s t i d. I am at Graham M at G R A E M E M. Uh, we are a Patreon supported podcast, and we are very very grateful for those of you who are contributing to that. And you can find the details about that at patreon.com forward slash waitbot podcast. We are available on iTunes and Stitcher, and feel free to leave us reviews on either of those. I don't even know if you can leave reviews on Stitcher, but I'm just presuming you can. I would and so. I think that's all everyone needs to know, right, Jeff? Yes, although I will throw in, because this is tied into the, the, the Patreon thing, Graham and I actually started the Wait What podcast pretty much a year ago. We, we basically yeah. ignored our well, one-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we did it in June, in July. Uh, was it July 1st was our launch or was it June 1st? I'm fairly sure it was July. I, I, I don't know. Oh. I'm fairly sure it was July, but we'll see. Maybe it was June. Yeah. That would, it would be more like us to have forgotten our anniversary. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things that I've been doing is uh, I pulled a bunch of – basically, I took all the blog things that I've written. Jack, and you're I, totally right. It was June. Yeah. See, told you. 
<laughs> you talked me out of it, but I told you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So it's been a year, everybody. Uh, we are super, super grateful. I think, I think among other things, it means that we've got to get to that guest podcast pretty darn yeah. quick, or we have like totally lied to everyone. But A, thank you so much for making this an amazing year. And B, I actually, it turns out that I had written uh, over a hundred thousand words uh, during this first year, um, just from the blog stuff, not from the show notes. So um, that's that is amazing and potentially terrifying, depending on how you want to look at it. Yes. <laughs> I love how silent you are. I was like, no, it's hard it's just like I wonder how many, how, however many words I've written. And then I was like, I don't want to know. Sure you do. No, Come I don't. On. No, I don't. No, no, I don't. Why not? Because Dude. then I'll be like, wow, that's depressing. Well, <laughs> I, I, just between you and me and whoever happens to be listening right now, I'm, I'm half thinking. Everyone of, will have switched off by now. Yeah, probably. So I, I was I was putting this together with the idea of basically turning it into an ebook. The first year of the the all my blog entries just throw it into an ebook and, and put it in to the uh, to the digital grab bag. So um, we'll see if I can get that to work because some of the some of the posts are a little some of them are dinky some of them it's you know they're capsule reviews which everyone assures me nobody wants to read so uh, you know that after you know the book is actually out but we'll see um, if anyone has a strong opinion about whether or not we should do that definitely drop us a note at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com and we'll talk about the results uh, next week along with whether or not Graham got to the comic book store otherwise Ladies and gentlemen, what nods all? Bye! Ah, music to my ears. Lovely. 